Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Daddy Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamflet and Michael Sidgwick here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Dynamite but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, the show formerly known as NXT Duplay. Oh! They reviews premium live events. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on WrestleCulture. As I said, they're joined by Havlin Sidgwick to review Dynamite from last night, and we are well on the road to AEW Revolution, Sidge. Uh, we are, again, the one program that I'm already really quite happy with was advanced in a yet more brilliant way. Mm. I cannot say the same thing for virtually anything else. I would say that across the two hours... There was a combined 30 minutes that was either at or orbited the expected AEW standard. The rest of the show was inoffensive to good, I guess. It's a bit like when I come in and go, hey, Raw wasn't as bad as last week. So that's, it was a vast <laughs> improvement on last week. It was, it was, but, but it can still that's be not the standard yeah. I wanted to try and reach. Um, this show was very divisive. I've mm. had people say it was mid. I've had people say it was an awesome recovery. Yeah. I've heard people say it was outright terrible, which is a segue to Michael Hamflet. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote the Ups and Downs article, which is available at whatculture.com forward slash WWE right now. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure the, what are they called? Stanflets. Yeah, Stanflets. We'll forgive you. T- tell, talk us through your experience of this show. Uh, I watched it live. <laughs> um, have you seen the traitors? <laughs> right, the traitors. I, I've accidentally spoiled it for myself, so I can't watch it. I didn't, even though I was aware it was this massive social media phenomenon it had a few months back. Um, it's a BBC thing that our United States listeners can find their own US version of it because the format was so immediately successful, they rushed out and made another version of it. It's absolutely captivating. Remember how Dynamite used to be? Like, it is absolutely captivating. You cannot get enough of it. And um, my wife and I are banging into it at the moment. We get home, uh, we finish work, and then obviously, and other parents will relate to this, work starts. So <laughs> by about like eight o'clock, half eight maybe, you get your evening back, and that's when you have your tea, you have your chat about your day, you watch whatever it is, so you've actually got things to talk about for the next six months. And <laughs> the traitors is that for us right now, but to such an extent where it's, like, it's only 12 episodes, which for a reality TV show is incredible. Yeah. Like, you think that's like... 
It's an hour a shot, but it's low commitment, really. Like 12 hours, I'm going to get the, the full reality TV experience. Mm -hmm. It's giving me the same feelings I had when I first watched Big Brother 1. That good? I, I promise you. Yeah. Like, I'm recommending this in the best possible faith. I think it's, it's the BBC, so you can tell they take a bit more care. It doesn't feel as, like, slapdash or happy for these people to just die on air, like <laughs> ITV or Channel 5 or all these gross ones. Like, it's a really, really great piece. I was unconvinced after the first episode, and by the third and the fourth one, there were, like, inciting incidents where you sort of... Oh my God, Nick's writing names down. Like, it's that. You're just blowing back in your chair because it's a brand new format as well. Season two won't ever be as good because they know the format a little bit and once people within the show become sentient of its power, it's, it loses something, doesn't it? And you just know you're watching. Not season three of Big Brother. Well, three. I, well, I would argue season five of Big Brother, you, you're still kind of in it and then by six, seven, eight and that, you're uh, just... The what was the, uh, the Victor fight? Uh, season five. Yeah. Was, yeah, the peak of the, it. That was, it was only down from there, wasn't it? <laughs> season three was my favourite. There were people who lost their minds in there. Yeah. There was romance. When they put the bars up. Aye. Yeah. Um, what was... What was Shabazz? Or four, I think. Uh, maybe that was four. Maybe yeah. that's when I actually lost it. And it was like the compelling, this should not be happening. I shouldn't be watching this. Yeah. When I'm going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, aye, the Traitors is fantastic. But it is an hour a shot. And it's one of the things where the, the format is so smart because they, there's two payoffs. I won't spoil it for anybody that has yet to watch, but there's two payoffs every sort of like... Every round of eliminations, we'll say. It's a reality show, so you know there's that coming. There's two payoffs to that each episode. But what they do is they put one at the very end of the episode, and then they give you a second payoff where you're like, next time on a traders. And if you were watching weekly, you'd be busting for the next episode. Because we're just binging, it gets you on to the next one. And it's like, well, we've had that. There's only 45 minutes to go, and we just keep watching. And kept watching, kept watching, kept watching. And I looked at the clock, and it was quarter one. And my wife was like, like I'm, I'm going to have to go back. I can't do another one. This is absolutely gripping, but I just can't do another one. And I'm thinking, quarter one in the morning. It's Thursday morning. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't have chose this one for the card. No. But it was just like, I was on a traitor's high. So I didn't even feel tired. Um, and then I put dynamite on and I was like... Tired. So <laughs> sound asleep by the sort of 75 minute mark and watched the rest this morning. <laughs> Not good. I didn't like this. Um, I have a feeling that me and C, this is going to be a... Bit of a throwback for long-term listeners. Oh. I've, we're not going to fight, but I do have a feeling that like we're going to disagree on pretty much every segment because I've sensed it from the conversations this morning. That even the uh, Sidgwick didn't like loads on this. I don't think thirty minutes. Did you say? Yeah. Like I think we'll probably disagree on the thirty minutes we liked for oh. the most part in this episode. Oh, easy day for me then. Nice. Um, let's dive straight into it then because the show opened with Wheelie Challenge Orange and challenging Orange Cassidy even for the All-Atlantic Championship after Wheelie Uta was an arsehole uh, on Rampage, was it, I think, to set this up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that theme continues. Orange Cassidy comes down to the ring. Wheelie Uta comes down, offers uh, Cassidy offers a handshake, and Uta swings for him instead. Um, Cassidy goes to do the whole hands-in-pockets thing, but Uta grounds him. Um, Cassidy reverses with a nice seatbelt pin early on. Out comes Claudio, slaps Uta in the face, fires him up. Does work, to be fair. Uta takes out Cassidy with a dive, launches him over the timekeeper's table, lights him up in the ring. Uh, Cassidy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, now I've got my hands in my pockets. Just keep doing what you were doing. Um, Cassidy kips up, uh, up and over in the corner, tries a crossbody off the top, but Uta brilliantly catches him into an atomic drop midair. Um, Uta blocks the orange put, uh, punch, and a satellite DDT into a brain buster for a near fall. Um, Cassidy hits the up kicks. That allows him to get up. 
Uh, and Hog Utah, who's really pissed off by this again, who headbutts his way free. Um, Cassidy goes to the mouse trap, but Utah counters into one of his own for a nice near fall as well. Um, brilliant visual. Utah not only gozers, spits in uh, Cassidy's face, but his gum, you couldn't write this, perfectly sticks to Cassidy's forehead. Um, that leads to a double down uh, after a forearm battle between the two of them. Cassidy goes for beach break. Uter avoids it. Uh, pulls Cassidy to the apron, I think via the ear. Uh, Cassidy backdrops Uter on the apron and it's a diving DDT to the floor. When they get back in, Cassidy hits a satellite DDT, but Uter counters the beach break into a beautiful pile driver. Uh, hammer and anvil elbows from Uter. Goes for this seatbelt, but uh, Cassidy reverses and... Surprisingly, does the same thing to him. Uh, and they exchange some pinfalls. Then Cassidy pops up. Orange punch. Uta kicks out. Beach break. Uta kicks out again. And Cassidy finally nails him with another orange punch that he did not hold back on to get the one, two, three. Post-match, Cassidy's like, you know, it's the war, but we're still pals after all this. He wants a hug, but Claudio does not want any of that. And Uta um, just... Brushes past Cassidy, does not give him what he wants. I was really pleasantly surprised by this. I thought this was utterly fantastic, and there was absolutely loads going on in the story. The deployment of when. Wrestling is all about when to do things for dramatic effect. The deployment of Orange Cassidy when he decided to put the hands in the pockets was great and such clever babyface work because he'd already, without relying on it, the idea being that he still treats you to... Like, they're not on the best terms, mm -hmm. but he still respects them yeah. a great deal. So he didn't want to mug him off at first. He just simply, without relying on his tricks, out-wrestled him in this absolutely thrilling, pulsating, incredibly impressive, from a cardio perspective, mat exchange. That's what's got you to, like, really, really pissed off. And then his emotions are heightened by Claudio slapping him across the face, and he decides to brawl. That's when you, uh, Orange decides, mm -hmm. all right, okay, I've got you. Like, you are absolutely up a height. You're beside <laughs> yourself. You're just getting a bit rage. So now I'm going to wind you up, and that's how I'm going to get the advantage. Um, there were so many different threads to this, but I don't think they lost a single one of them, which I thought was really impressive. The mind games from Cassidy were just typically brilliant. The tone ranged from proper, really competitive mat wrestling to an all-out fight. There was a thread of mutual respect. Mm-hmm when they were stealing each other's really, really great, hermetically sealed pinning combinations that just enabled so many great near falls throughout this. And yet, because it was so competitive, they spat in each other's faces because <laughs> they were that wound up. But then that threat of mutual respect was there in the match because at the end, they were prepared to hug before a potential development in the Blackpool Combat Club saga has potentially unfolded here. And just to touch on that, I thought this match was brilliant. Told, told the story of Wheeler Yuta feeling just like, unmoored from himself. He doesn't know which tactic to take. I feel like he's losing faith in the BCC, or it's mutual, or the BCC are losing faith in him. He's flustered, he's unfocused, and that really is telling the story of that character, and it was articulated wonderfully in this match. He was, he's clearly in this match shown that he's got all the tools. He can brawl. He's got fire. He's very clever. He's a great high flyer and technical wrestler, but he just cannot put it all together. And Cassidy beat him. There was so much going on here, loads to unpack, loads to enjoy. On the BCC thing, I really feel slash hope that 
once Moxley's finally not preoccupied with other business that is taking on a life of its own, like the interim title stuff took on a life of its mm-hmm. own. He kind of had to be the guy to put over MGF. Otherwise, you get the same problem of Mox being interim champion in the first place. And then the legit concussion happens to Hangman Page, so they kind of stumbled into a story there. Once that's over and done with, and a plan can be thought out, this, and Danielson's no longer occupied by MJF, this BCC stuff really has to begin in earnest as a planned thing that they have to see through, because I think there's potential here to do something special with that unit. But they have kind of lost me in terms of the trust and the let it play out with the BCC because it's been so unfocused. I hope this slap and this sort of this really strict quality from Claudio is really going to bring BCC back into prominence as a storyline because it's kind of been all over the place. I agree with everything Cedric said and didn't feel half of it. Like, I knew I was watching an objectively really great piece of work here. Um, the swapped submissions and pinning combos were fantastic. Like, really, really great. I bought the Wheelie uh, Orange Cassidy relationship breakdown uh, that was missold to me on Rampage. Yeah. It was built off a lie, like a continuity error, and you don't get many of them in AEW. And, like, and yet, they sold it to me in the match, and I, and I went with it. And, like, they did at least, I think, did a good job with a bad setup. And I was really, really impressed with it. Like, on the BCC, which I do feel is, like, the, my prevailing takeaway from, like, the, the chewing gum spot <laughs> felt like an all-timer bit of, like, wrestling happenstance, but the kind of thing they would have hoped for as well. So it was a bit of luck, but you want it to turn out that way. And Orange Cassidy milked it just right as well. Like, he kind of... Orange Cassidy's great at that, like, low-key disdain before he either gets serious or gets silly, depending on what he's doing with his opponent. And I thought he handled that well. Um... But yeah, like, William Regal's left. So I know it doesn't stand for Blackpool anymore, but is it bitch or brat? Because I hate this group at the moment. Like, I get they're in turmoil. I get it. But to Sidgwick's point, like, what turmoil exactly is there beyond Wheelie Ute being a pain in the arse? Claudio's the ring of honor world champion. Brian Anderson is the main event of a pay-per-view. John Moxley can main event whenever the hell he wants and is in this hangman page thing. I don't feel... I like the idea of the story but I don't feel any of it because I don't think it's been well tended to. CM Punk's that incredible line, the grass is always, isn't greener on the other side, it's greener where you water it. Like the BCC has not been watered and what you're seeing now is like three people or two people that have to pretend that like they're pissed off, things have gone on. It's only really really out there. Like Claudio coming and refusing to let him shake hands right now. I'm like, I hate you lot. You, like who was it? Was MJF that said it? Like in, in your weird piss-smelling basement or something like that. Somebody, Might have been Hangman. Is it Hangman? Yeah. I agree. I don't like these people. Like, and I just like they they've got enough going on that they sh- like they shouldn't be such turmoil and like what's going on in the group. It's only really wheelie as a whiner. The rest of them things are pretty fine, and it's just it's that lack of focus. That if that can be tightened up, then maybe I'll get back on board. Yeah, I understand why Claudio was like, "Don't shake his hand." That's like a sign of endorsement. He's not BCC yeah. worthy. I don't care how he beat you. He's just not. And you're and you've pissed me off because you've lost to that joker. I get it but it just feels like there's a total lack of identity and cohesion, even mm. when they're not being cohesive, if that makes any sense. It's just a mess, really. It's a mess. If you took the trouble of plotting out this Blackpool Combat Club group and the dissension within the ranks, and like, you know what was weird? Not only did BCC not come to Mox, uh, 
Danielson's aide when MGF was beating him up. That was a continuity error, plot hole, however you want to describe it. This whole dissension within the ranks started with William Regal and uh, Danielson saying, I don't care that he's betrayed you. He means more to me than the betrayal. And Moxley prepared to kill him and fall out with Brian in the process. Moxley and Danielson just had a match against Top Flight with no issues whatsoever on Rampage not too long ago. Mm-mm. It's just all over the place here. Like slap dash stuff. But this match had as many moving parts, but put them all together somehow. Uh, we go backstage. Iwaluno and Hangman Page are there with Renee, and she's talking about his match with John Moxley a little bit later. And, and Hangman's pissed off with all this. And Uno's like, "Yeah, I know you've told us so many times not to interfere, but every time I hear that, I hear you basically saying Dark Order's not on your level. So I've got a request for you: don't interfere, don't show up bell to bell. It's time for the Dark Order to stand up for itself." Uh, and to Moxley, he turns to the camera and says, it's time to find out why my name is Evil Uno, setting up the main event for later on. And then we get Ricky Starks coming out uh, to a great reaction, as he should get. Um, and uh, he goes, look, I could stand here all night, but I'm going to get told off of running over. Um, and he's like, look, I've, I've come to the realisation that Chris Jericho doesn't want a rematch. I'm moving on. Yay! One of the biggest pops of the night. Like, what a nightmare for what had to come next. Yeah. So instead, he has an open challenge contract. He's got a match at Revolution, and whoever fancies it, let's have a bare knuckle fight then. Um, He says, look, my song is The Revolution Will Be Televised, and I'll be damned if I'm left off of Revolution, basically. Um, And he says, whoever wants it, come and get it. Come down and sign. And, of course, out comes Chris Jericho, all on his own with his spiky jacket. And he says, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to bait me into having another match. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're not done until, until, we, until I say so. Um, you know, you should count your blessings, Ricky Starks. You beat Chris Jericho. That's a highlight of your career. Put it in a little box. Put it on your nightstand. Check it nightly before you go to bed. Um, I can beat you anytime, anywhere, but it's not going to happen. You're not on my level. Good luck with the open challenge. I hope it goes well. And who comes out to accept? But Peter Avalon... Poor bastard. Immediately as he's walking past Jericho, he's like, I'm not having this. Judas effect too, with the with the spikes as well. Uh, rough. He's laid out by the Judas effect by Chris Jericho, who walks down to the ring and says, look, see what bloody happens? Everyone's going to want to walk out and have a, have a match. You know, you really, you really want me that bad? Maybe I should take the contract and have a rematch and embarrass you. Uh, and, uh, you know, he says... Well, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, sign it. But we all know what's going to happen. You know, you're Chris Jericho. You're the first AEW champion. You did all this stuff that you did by yourself in, in AEW. Why do you keep needing the JAS? You can get the job done by yourself, can't you? Jericho's like, you're damn right. I can do it one-on-one. I'm the great Chris Jericho. Do you know what? I would sign this. I'd even add the addendum that the JAS don't come out. They stay in the back. I'd do that right here, right now. But I haven't got a pen. Ricky Starks does, though, and Jericho takes it from him and does the click gimmick, which does get a huge reaction, adds the addendum, signs it, and uh, Jericho says, be careful what you wish for. Nobody outsmarts the Ocho. And, uh, I mean, my favorite part was when Ricky Starks stared down the camera and winked. Oh, my God. But I'd love to know your thoughts on all this. I still have zero interest in watching this match. This did not build my anticipation or optimism 
about a match I still don't want to see. It's a segment of TV, as stupid as it was, as cliched as the, I've got you in the palm of my hand and I can, because you're an idiot and I'm going to convince you to do this by playing to your ego. Very, very stupid. There were three things I absolutely loved about this. I still don't want to see the match, but I was kind of impressed by the segment in and of itself. We recorded a podcast about a fortnight ago, not last week, maybe the week before. Yeah. How do you solve the Chris Jericho problem? And it remains a problem, so go and listen to it on uh, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I put a disclaimer at the start of that podcast to say, Chris Jericho, maybe in about a month, will do something either really funny or really great, and he'll remind you why he gets these spots, why he's kind of a master. And doing a reference throwback to the list and getting an absolutely gigantic pop. And I wasn't even the highest guy on that run, but I just smiled. It was just so inspired how it tied into the contract stuff. So he's always got something like that in his locker. One thing's funny, though, is that like in 2019, apps like late 2019, early 2020, peak of his powers in AEW, he's the champ, he's legitimized it. He's made it feel enormous. He's become the tippy-top guy that WWE never had him as. And people would tweet him something like, I, I, like really nicely. Hey, Jericho, I just want to say that I really liked the list. That was cool. Hey, f*** off. Go f*** your ass. I'm the champion. I reinvent myself. I don't do that anymore. I don't know why it's Von Wagner all of a sudden. <laughs> but hey, I'm the champion now. Leave that in 2016. Huh? Like, how dare suggest that I rely on the same material. I'm the Ocho, <laughs> which is the same as the Wizard and the Champion, whatever. Demo God. <laughs> I love the idea that he's realizing, oh, Christ, I'm floundering at the minute. What can I do? Something that got over uh, <laughs> seven years ago. Yeah, ages. Jesus. It worked, and it's fine. And he's a hypocrite, but he's Chris Jericho. He's the Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that. There are two more things I really enjoyed here. One, right, Pretty Peter Avalon stuff was great. You know me. Long-time listeners know me. I have, considering how silly wrestling is at its core, I'm the wrong kind of wrestling fan, ultimately. I'm too pedantic. I look for logic and reason in this utterly ridiculous world, okay? I've always thought it was the stupidest idea that a jobber wouldn't just go out on Raw and just beat up a, like a top star with a chair, because that's how matches get made. And it's so contrived, because if you're just a goober going nowhere in your career, like if you're, who's a goober doing nothing in WWE right now? Becky Lynch was when she smashed Charlotte Flair in the face. This is true. This is true. <laughs> but who, like right now, is just so low that they never get booked? Humberto? Yeah. yeah. Never gets booked. There's nothing stopping him with the stupid way that wrestling operates from just going out there and hitting Gunther with a chair. Gunther would then have to turn around through the laws of wrestling and how this works and say, Christ, I'm in a match with you now. doesn't matter, I'm going to beat you, but that's how this works. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've wanted for so long, because I'm an idiot and pedantic, for a, a goober to come out and just do this, because he can. Mm. That's how it works. And pretty, pretty Peter Avalon did it, and I loved that. The third thing is, if you remember, the town hall overseen by Eric Bischoff. That's how long ago this was, given wow. his relationship with AEW. 
Um, he had some like questions. I think Conrad was there. Yeah. And that's when MGF called him Turkey Tits. And for whatever reason, they did a segment with the Inner Circle and MGF. And it was like a question series. And then Pre- Pretty Peter Avalon said uh, MGF and Chris Jericho, I'm just going to shoot my shot. Can I be in the Inner Circle? <laughs> and it was really funny because Jericho and MGF, who were doing the whole tension gimmick, looked at each other and just pissed themselves laughing. LTST with Pretty Peter Avalon <laughs> yeah. combined with my completely subjective, no one else wants this to happen thing happened in wrestling. I was so happy with this, but equally, it was not good. Yeah, I like this segment. Well, no, I didn't like the segment, nor do I like this feud. But uh, often I'll have to just accept. It's took me back to Cody Rhodes in 2019. Don't like you, but these crowds are going insane for you, so I'm stuck with you. Like, I can't argue. It's kind of a little bit the case. Like, I realized what we were talking about yesterday with the acclaim later on this show. Mm. Like, this got really over, and it wasn't just the pen. Like, there was... I thought Ricky Starks was wanting to, like, foreshadow a dig at Chris Jericho. And he said, I'm going to get told off if I run too long. And then Jericho comes out and lets the entire of Judas play, even though he's on the stage before he's even started singing in the song. I thought, you're not as stupid as you look there, Starks, because it's really hard to lay one on Chris Jericho live on television. I think you've just done it. But the crowd were with all of this, mm. like all of it. And if you'd not seen any of this really laboured and drab build, you'd think this was one of the hottest matches on Revolution based on seeing these two interact. I'm with Sidgwick. I think this idea that, like, <laughs> I use some reverse psychology. And Jericho's walking away thinking, <laughs> I use some reverse psychology. I, I didn't, I'm sorry, I, you hit the MA yet. I thought, like, Ricky Starks was a bit suffering succotash. Personally, like, and like Jericho presumably will watch that and be like, wait a second, like, he's pulled a fast one on me there. So I don't really care about the outcome, but I cannot fault this segment in and of itself. Ricky Starks, just a quick one on him. I like that he is given full trust to go out there and like, he's a big, he's a big star elect, I will say. Sometimes he's got it more than others, but certainly the MJF build and the match showed you mm. that Ricky Starks is, is a guy there that you kind of need to keep your eye on. I'm not so sure always if the freewheeling freedom of an AEW promo is the way to go for him. Like, I'm assuming it's bullet points and he gets out there and he does it. But I want him to look like the most just peerless, confident pro wrestler in the world. And I just feel like the more he has to remember, the more sometimes stuff gets a bit mixed up as he's saying it. That's just my perception of that. It feels like it's happened a few times. But it's worth mentioning now. And I sort of think that happened again here as well. You look, can get flustered, can Ricky. Looks amazing doing it, though. Mm. You know what I mean? Comes out topless in a green suit and it looks awesome. You're like, well, that's why. This is, this <laughs> is why. But um, aye. Maybe, uh, maybe tighten up a little bit there. Uh, following that, we got some... Just in Jericho, one more thing. There is a disconnect be- between how he's perceived online and how the people in the arenas yeah. react to him. I think Judas is a fun thing to do live, I guess, but his matches are always pretty hot. Yeah. I wish he had, like, did a stretch job and was off for eight months. Uh, <laughs> we get some uh, pre-recorded w- words, stuff that we'd seen. It worked on. one. He wouldn't want to wish Oh, no, I'm not, I don't want him to get hurt. Just in case any <laughs> like, idiots. I just no, no idiots listen to this podcast, I don't That's think. true, yeah. Not too smart an audience. Um, yeah, they set up the, all the teams. Like, we're going to win the tag team battle or a lot of stuff that was on the, the road to. And then it was time, speaking of tag teams. Can I say that? I like this. Yeah. It was a bit irreverent, a bit daft. But I like the editing of it all, where you have these sort of like pastiche to the camera promos from people who are kind of knowingly doing an impression, like Butcher and the Blade, knowingly do yeah. it. Um, 29 other men, every man for himself. 2.0 certainly do this pastiche of a bygone era and the way they do the promos. And then for best friends to like 
um, do a pastiche of the pastiche, subvert it and deadpan it and say, I don't know if we're going to win. We're not doing that well recently. Is it Trent going, I'm, no, it was Chucky, wasn't it? I'm mad. I don't even know why I'm mad, but I'm mad. <laughs> going, I'm going to promise nothing. We promised nothing. We don't know. We're not really doing that well at the moment. And then... The editing was great because it went to 2.0 going even more mental, which makes them look even more <laughs> like dorks compared to... I just thought this was really nicely done. Uh, speaking of tag teams, though, it was time for the acclaimed versus Lee Moriarty and Big Bill. Big Bill. Uh, I will get to the rap in a second. Actually, no, I'll talk about the rap and then we'll talk about Big Bill's face. Yeah. Um, talks about Tiger style and... Uh, Doggy style. Uh, Sid, I, I couldn't really understand that. He talked about tiger style. I understand that with Lee Moriarty, but then he said something about doggy style. With his mother? Yeah. Right, okay, what he's saying is that um, what he wants to do, hopefully, like, with consent, obviously, yeah, yeah. is that he's going to, you know, maybe a bit of foreplay, a bit of dry hunting, some kissing, you know, just to make sure everything's right. You gotta make sure everything's right. Mm. You fucking bend over and right in the pussy so that's what but but doggy style it's how dogs fuck. okay got it so he wants to fuck <laughs> Lee Moriarty's mother in the style of a dog in the style of a dog God. having full sex with another dog wait a minute now I'm confused as to what tiger style is <laughs> I thought it was someone who was fighting <laughs> I don't know how tigers do <laughs> um and then he did the the line about, uh, hey, Big Bill, your girl just texted me and said you soft. Again, what's that one about? Right, okay, this one's a little bit trickier to pass, but let's try and unpack it here. The idea is that, and it's quite toxic, to be honest, and I'm not the biggest fan of this kind of banter, but the crowd love it, okay? But the idea is that uh, you are pretty much defined as a man mm -hmm. with your ability to get an erection. Uh -huh. You might have had this before. It's when a lot of blood goes into your dick. <laughs> <laughs> you might have had it before. Yeah. Well, bloody ass. Might blood it up. Absolute lad. <laughs> and, and if enough blood uh -huh. goes into <laughs> your penis because you're in a state of sexual arousal, you get a... Oh. But, but what Max Caster is implying here, and it's very subtle, is that... Big Bill has an inability to do this. Oh. Stupid. Von, Sch Von Schagner. Von Schagner. <laughs> Into your penis. But, um, whilst those were very good lines, as always. Mr. Stone, it's gone hard. <laughs> so, whilst, as always, it was great stuff from Max Caster. Unfortunately... <laughs> <laughs> no one's gonna no one's gonna remember that because and I, I wish these uh, He's 15 years old isn't he I wish these uh, I wish these podcasts were filmed uh, well, because the eyes in year 10 Sidge did an incredible has done an incredible impression <laughs> of Big Bill scissoring himself it's that and the the old classic big cast I like his yeah, swaggering big arm it's good he's got such a fantastic arsehole face yeah he's great <laughs> and the best thing is is that yeah, much like the ratio of space and moves employed by Hiroshi Tanahashi, <laughs> is that Big Bill, more often than not, in the background, stone-faced, doesn't change his expression. And you think, all right, okay, he's just a silent enforcer, the muscle. 
So when he does this, it just lands all the better for me. You know, I was thinking about in this match with Big Bill, he spoke openly about how just awful uh, Bill DeMott was to him. And like to him and Enzo, when, before he was sacked from the performance centre, Bill DeMott was awful to everybody. Bill DeMott was awful. End of sentence. But like they, he said that particularly he was cruel to them too. And then he gets fired and obviously Enzo and cast off his awesome run. Things are good for Big Bill now. I love the idea that maybe he just gets to walk around being called Big Bill. And like yeah, once yeah. upon a time, Hugh Morris would have like fancy asked his way around the gym and been like, call me Big Bill. Like, until I tell you otherwise, scum or whatever. And now he gets to work as Big Bill on television with a great big grin on his face, doing a mock scissor face. Where are you, Hugh? Mr. Morris. Where are you? <laughs> uh, early blind tag. Um, Bowens gets a sunset flip backstabber combo thing. That was lovely. Yeah. yeah. That takes us to picture and picture. Mariotta and Big Bill take over there. During this, uh, the guns make their way out. Um, and then uh, Big Bill missed an empire elbow. Bowens gets the hot tag, runs wild. Scissors daddy ass. Um, and Big Bill's like, I've had enough of this. So he just murders Daddy Ass with a big boot on the outside. Um, Caster takes out Big Bill, posts him, all, all that. Um, and Austin and Colton Gunn beat the crap out of their own dad. Moriarty goes for the spinning slam and gets a two count on Bowens. But Bowens by, battles back, hits the arrival. Caster hits the mic drop. One, two, three. The acclaimed are over. God, the noise, yeah. As hell. Somehow, after this pretty tragic and very, very counterproductive month of booking. Good crowd in Phoenix, actually. A lot of loud stuff tonight. Brand new market, traditionally hot town. Yeah. Um, aye. Well done, then. I wouldn't have been that hot for this card. Yeah. Uh, not much to say. The backstabber thing was really cool. There was enough add-ons, I guess, is the word, to describe how they kept the drama ticking <clears throat> over. Like, this was just a nice... Exhibition, building block, reminder that the acclaimed can win. You like to watch them. Absolutely nothing remarkable. I will forget this, but they had the crowd, silly as all of this was, through sheer star power alone because they did next to nothing in terms of a great match or a story or a match with significant emotional investment, but over is over. Yeah, putting the belts on the guns is a mistake. Of course it was. It was a big mistake. I was like very patient. No one was even ready for the acclaim to lose. It's not as if they needed to do an experiment where it's like, right, okay, well, if you do this, it's meta and low stakes and carny. It was and eat it because they really wanted to have that thing like, see, you say all the things are predictable. They're not because we've done this. But that one felt low stakes because it was the guns. It's not effective because the champions that win are supposed to be credible. And the guns never really were. Do you think this has been influenced? I don't know, it's just popped in my head, this, by the fact that people kind of went, ugh. And not that it mattered in the end, of course, but they should have just called an audible and put the belts on the acclaimed in that match that we went into going, oh, it's just them versus Swerve and Keith Lee. Well, that's fairly straightforward. And then watching the match going, oh, my God, they should do the switch. Is that it? Was that it maybe influenced their decision of, like, we've got to go before people know we're going to go for something like this? I don't know. I don't know. I just think the guns are well-liked within the organization. Wink, wink. And they decided to play a meta game. As Hamsel points out, it's good to do something like this, but not this specific thing. Yeah, there's an art to, as well. To that point, there is definitely an art to um, trying something when the act is at its hottest. And then, like, but you've got, you can never know these things. Like, people look at the shield as an example of, like, say the shield, yeah. breaking those up. And they were still really, really hot, and people were devastated. It only split. just turned face as well. Yeah, and as a result, years later, you still get all this brand new credit in the bank when you put them back together. 
But you don't know until it's happened. Mm. Um, I think what's happened here is that the guns don't feel like they're even really involved in their own title storyline. And the match is weaker too. Like the four-way... Like I have a feeling, uh, I think we all do, about like who the fourth team's going to be next week. And it's not going to matter because we know who the new tag champs are going to be. Well, indeed. They've just got added. And that match will be like... A four-way will be just fine, I suppose. I have a feeling. Maybe, hypothetically, let's say there was a wrestler in there that might make it something of a party match. Yeah. Like, so that'll it'll be that. It'll be the party match and the tag title match at the same time, which is perhaps why we got here and why the guns needed to win the belts. I'm still not sure, looking at the acclaimed here, if the ends really justified the means. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. So, uh, following that, um, it's time for the, the big thing on the stage. And here comes Tony Schiavone to call out... No, 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 sorry. We've gone to him too early. Um, because it's time for Christian Cage to come out for his big interview. But he is immediately jumped by Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Uh, knocks him down. Swipes his feet on him, basically. Uh, walks off. Comes back. Two chairs. Oh, my God. He's going to concerto his former mentor. Um, does the, Sets it all up, basically. Uh, puts his boot on his neck, uh, stomps, and then goes to do it. But he crucially hesitates and gets hoid in the old bollocks by Christian Cage. Gets nailed with a chair shot. Uh, Cage pulls him down, smashes his face in the chair. He gets all busted open. Um, and he's going to kill him until uh, the referees come out and say, all right, enough's enough here. My favorite thing on the show, this, honestly, I thought... Um, 
So just just in terms of the action, I thought almost all of it looked fantastic. Jungle Boy's spear was amazing. Um, the energy and the frenzy about this beatdown, you just believed it. Like, Christian Cage was advertised as a guy that was going to appear, so it stands to reason that Jungle Boy has been stood by Gorilla the entire time waiting for the moment that Christian Cage appears. I can buy that, that he's just paced around all day waiting for Cage to arrive. So I love that. Um, the execution of the low blow and then Christian swinging that chair was just such a little bastard's trick. Christian, even in his advancing years, is, can still be such a rat. It's amazing how <laughs> it's amazing how he does it. It's just fantastic. He just morphs into this awful little like I hated the CLB nickname, but he does have the ability to morph into a creepy little bastard. I just wish they'd never tried to monetize it because mm. that's what you feel when you look at him even now as this like elder statesman figure. Minor gripe on the physicality. Um I don't want Jungle Boy to concuss himself, but the hands going up every single time did look a bit daft the more he did it, but he had to repeat it in order for it to be like such a violent act. So if you watch it again, it looks a little bit daft, but I love the idea of him just smashing, eat the chair, eat the chair, eat the chair, eat the chair. I thought that was great. And from a booking point of view and a, a show logistics point of view, I said in the preview yesterday, Christian Cage was doing the how low can you go stuff when there was no MJF there to do it. On a night where MJF was going to do some, Christian not speaking and instead just leaping to the physicality. Yeah. Really smart as well. This feels hot out of nowhere and nobody said a word. I would have never predicted that for this program. Really impressed with this. Yeah, I was very impressed as well. Um, more so on reflection than in the moment, if I'm being honest, because there was a lot of cute detail. If you're a jungle boy, you're not waiting to be insulted. You've taken the worst insults. You've taking batterings, you've had your best friend turned against you, and crucially, you were deprived of getting your revenge because the guy got injured, your tormentor. Why wait? He shouldn't be waiting where his character's headspace at, is at. To what else I liked as well, the hesitation on that concerto, people might think it's all the dorky way that sometimes AEW can do its baby face. It's a bit melodramatic and stuff like that. If you recall, at Full Gear 2021, it was Christian Cage... He's like, go on, bring Matt Jackson's head. Devil on the shoulder, wasn't it? Devil on the shoulder. Do it, yeah. You've got to do it. Like, come on, you can't be Jungle Boy anymore. At some point, you've got to be Jack Perry. Part of what this is, mm. my protege, is just do this sort of thing. So just do it. <laughs> and he did it. And what has he since learned from Christian Cage? That that is not the way. Not the way to be. So it's no wonder in this moment, with, with lovely symmetry, was like, I can't. I don't want to turn into that. I hate that. That's why I want to beat him up. A revolution, March 5th. Six, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> uh, a little recap of uh, Wardlow and Joe. Obviously, they're going to go down at Revolution, um, including obviously what happened with the interview and the, the hair stuff. And uh, suppose Joe says, man's greatest folly is delusion. Uh, and said, I, I basically sculpt, scalped him because uh, I uh, wanted to send a message that I'm not a man to be messed with. So he doesn't care. Yeah. Fine. He's a bastard. <sighs> Fine. Uh, then it's time. Oh, hang on. Sorry up here because I appear to have put a women's match in the first hour. <laughs> <laughs> here comes Soraya. Sky Blue's already in the ring. Um, and uh, this went probably the exact way that we thought it was going to with the current characters being as they are. Soraya's obviously got Tony Storm there at ringside. Uh, Sky Blue gets a bit of offense in, but immediately as she starts to get rolling a bit, Tony Storm interferes, knocks her off with the referee, uh, has, has their back turned, knocks her off the top. Um, Soraya puts the boots in, chucks her out. Stony, Tony Storm gets another cheap shot in there. Um, Sky Blue does get um, Soraya in the Black Widow. 
Um, but then Soraya turns that into the nightcap. Blue fights out the corner. Top rope crossbody. Snare drop kick. Uh, snap drop kick even. Um, but Storm takes the referee and all this. So Blue clocks her. But that allows uh, Soraya to recover. Thrust kick. Scorpion cross lock thing uh, for the submission victory. Um, they're going to spray paint her after the match. They're going to turn blue green. Um, <laughs> but Britt Baker. And you said in the studio earlier this week that blue and green should never be seen. Yeah. I always thought that was red, but you educated my ass on that. Indeed. Because uh, red and green's Christmas. Yeah, I always thought it was red and green should never be seen, and then Will Bomb well, mentioned I mean, it I think it's in blue relation and green to decorating, it was seen. blue and green should never so be seen. Certainly oh. not the person to be hanging out for handing out fashion advice. <laughs> but here comes Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter to make the save. Uh, you got like a Nasty Boys looking t-shirt. I like the blue, yeah, I like the blue and green really, on your shirt. Every now and again, I look in the cupboard and I think, oh, it's Thursday. And it's a bit, it used to be... Thursday, you know what I mean. Over a Nasty Bar. It used to be the NXT one now. It feels like the big, you know, the paint splashes that we used to get on Dynamite. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, nasty Boys. Yeah. Jim Moss treats with his knobs. From the Nasty Boys. Sorry, yeah. Watch old clips. Storm and Soraya. Probably sags these days. Yeah. That's both Nasty Boys. Not when he's on Twitter. Storm and Soraya, before they uh, before they run up the ramp, um, make sure they spray paint a sign green. And then Ruby Soho's music comes out. She couldn't care less. She wants the tail. She does the old symbol uh, signal for that. Uh, and there we have it. I feel nothing. And I have n- <laughs> I feel nothing. I have nothing to say. Ruby Soho is the designated jobber for the revolution march, which is stupid. Who cares where they used to work? I certainly don't. Tony Storm did not enjoy working there, so why she's standing up for WWE? Just it, this does nothing to increase my interest in a story that for me is dead. Forgot how much I love that submission finish though. Yeah, it's got great. Yeah, um, I thought this was the best weekend week for this storyline yet, but I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It's not. Uh, it's because the story is weak. I like this. Um, I thought Saray looked good again. That's twice now that in this heel character. She just doesn't, like, not to be awful about her as a person, but she just doesn't feel like she's having to work too hard to get there as a gimmick. Like, I don't know, like the best characters of yourself turned up to whatever, I don't know, it just feels like that's how she feels when she goes to work there, is that she'd rather flip a bunch of these fans off as long as they subscribe to her Twitch. Um, and just, like, the work feels more believable when she's, like, laying in shots on a game babyface jobber. Tony Storm, God damn it! Did you see the sell of that one Sky Blue punch? Like Tony Storm did, like practically did like a double backflip onto the floor just to try and get Sky Blue over in that last moment. Mm. And I liked the Ruby Soho thing looking through. I thought that was a, a genuine Tony Khan listening to his audience who kind of laughed at that terrible main event scene, the way Dynamite went off the air last week with the tug of war between Ru- where Ruby Soho was the belt to Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. <laughs> yes. And she just looked through the. Like looked through the bollocks, basically. Looked through the nonsense of the story and was targeting Jamie Hayter's belt. And that was addressed in a way that I thought was relatively satisfying in the um, Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker promo we got later on, where Britt Baker was basically playing The Rock at No Way Out 1998 to Jamie Hayter's Farouk. Like, you were kind of instructed to, like, listen to Jamie Hayter's words, but watch Britt yeah. Baker pulling faces and, like, Jamie Hayter doing the odd, like, look, we set this division I don't like Sky Blue, but we set this division up, and Britt Baker's just going, I, I set this division up. So I, I, I thought this was the best week for this story yet, but story's not great. Story sucks. Oh, before we move on. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. 
not that great. Let's face it. Remember um, that WrestleMania night one? She got really, I was so happy over. for her. I was, was so happy for her. Yeah. <laughs> what was that about? <laughs> it, was, it, was weird, it was weird though, right? <laughs> yeah, inexplicable, one might say. Um, uh, Michael Sidgwick, what's that jingle for? What's the name of the game? But I suppose before we do that, I should mention the aim of the game and uh, the, the the rhyme that's fast becoming my favourite thing. <sighs> well, before we get to the name of the game, I will get to the button eventually. Before we get to the name of the game, let's go to the aim of the game. And the aim of the game is to identify to the exact hour, minute, and second when you will hear the first note of the first entrance theme of the first woman to emerge for the only token obligatory afterthought of a woman's match on Dynamite to really shine a harsh, glaring light on the fact that it is an afterthought. It is a token obligation. It is something that they don't care about. It is something that they should care way more about. Mm. It's been nearly four years, and I'm sick of it. Sick of this jingle. Sick of it all. Do better storytelling by your women. The lack of representation is piss poor. And if we can get it to the hour, minute, and second, exactly, it will really, really shine a light on just how pathetic, quite frankly, all of this is. And there's a rhyme that you can remember that is increasingly becoming irrelevant (laughs) about when you can expect this segment to go. And, you know... Don't worry, guys. When the women come out to play, the main event ain't too far away. Except it always is now because they've changed it. But yeah. there's still only one match, and we will still play the game. Yes. What's the name of the game? Well, the name of the game is... Well, this is Larry's Nate, and I'm thinking, oh, what a Nate. This is Hetfield. James Hetfield of Metallica got even stupider as he went on with his vocal inflections and his patterns and his cliches. So I'm going to... I'm going to really head feel this one. Yeah. Already have. <laughs> uh, thanks, as always, to uh, Jose Palomares, um, at the Ho 11 on Twitter, who controls all the statistics, all the... Um, Data. Uh, thank you uh, for this. Heading into this, three correct guesses for Sidgwick, nope. two correct guesses Data. for Hamflow. Data. Data. Um, and I've got Data. one. Data. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sage, what times did we uh, did we guess on the AW Dynamite preview? Still available. I don't know why you want to listen to it now, oh. but it's still available right now. What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from. In descending order, Sidgwick, no hours, 28 minutes, 59 seconds. Hamflet, one hour, 11 minutes, 11 seconds. Adam Wilborn, one hour, 24 minutes, and 32 <laughs> seconds. What an absolute good hour. So off. Uh, it's probably been about like six for that exact time. Uh, Jose reveals that the time that Saray's music hit was 52 minutes and one second, which means, in his words, the Encyclopedia Hamflet has the closest guess around 19 minutes away. The Dadley Boys are tied three each. I still haven't got one this year, which is a good thing, actually. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing, I think. Um, but thanks, as always. Yeah, we do want to win this game. We do want to play yeah. this game. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks to Jose and uh, shout out, as always, of course, to Adam Wilton. Uh, Adam Wilton for Adam Blair, who uh, normally takes care of this, but he's enjoying a well-earned break doing a job <laughs> instead. <laughs> um, right, let's move on, because then came Brian Danielson to come down to the rings. Happy to be back in Arizona. Uh, He's going to do everything he can in his power to beat MJF for the title. 
Um, but uh, first, he wants to talk about what MGS said last week. He said he came out last week and said he hates Brian Danielson. So he tried to break the, break the arm of a friend of, of his, Christopher Daniels, of course. But he hates Daniel Bryan. He put a bounty on his head. He tried to injure him, but he hates Daniel Bryan. He hospitalized his mentor, William Regal, but he hates... I've called him Daniel Bryan there, by the way. Brian Danielson. The main, as long as you get the one name right that matters the most in AW, William Regal, correct, then everything will be fine. That man is the absolute best at getting named on a show that he's possibly never going to appear on ever again. Jesus Christ, I'm fucking sick of William Regal. <laughs> look at his son's stupid face on a Tuesday. Last thing I want to do is hear his stupid name on a Wednesday. So uh, here comes MJF. Um, uh, he says, I know who you really are, and you know who I really am. I'm the guy who got left stranded by anyone he ever opened up to. I got tossed out like trash by anyone claiming to love me. Then he met a girl who changed his outlook on everything, on everyone, his dream girl. She convinced him that not everyone in this world is bad. So he became the man who got down on one knee Said he loved her. He uh, he wanted to have a family. He wanted to have a children. Wanted to to make a home with her. And then that girl left him. She left him because he's unlovable. Now all he's got is the triple B, uh, and uh, you know his world is this title. Uh, that's all he's got from grabbing a fistful of pills and calling it a day. But not Brian. Everyone loves him. He's got something that I MJF will never have: a family, a wife, two kids. He takes all this for granted, though. Why does he hate Brian? Because Brian has more concussions and head trauma than anyone in um, in uh, uh, in not the company, not in the wrestling. Yes, we're here. Thank you. Uh, and he's still here. Uh, every time Brian steps foot in that ring, he's choosing wrestling over his family and his children. He's spitting in MJF's face because he's taking MJF would kill for. He's taking that for granted. He's no di- different than his. Uh-oh. Worthless drug-addicted mentor, William Regal. Oh, him. In fact, he's worse because he's addicted to the spotlight. And on uh, March 5th, yeah, yeah, uh, he's going to punish him for trying, to take, for trying to take away the one thing that I have in my life. He's going to punish him for all that he's taken for granted. And then suddenly he says, now I want to speak down the camera to Brian Danielson's children. Brian says, oh, hold it right there. You don't bring my kids into this or I'll kick the shit out of you. And MJF just continues by saying, hey, birdie. Hey, buddy. I thought he was going to speak to children because those can't be people's names. Uncle Max. I just want to know, make you, make you realize that come March 5th, I'm going to make Dada pay for all this selfishness. I'm going to grab him by the arm and I'm going to rip it out of his socket until he submits. I'm going to make sure Dada can never play with him again. For one hour, I'm going to make sure Dada can never pick you up again. And then I'm going to take my fist and hit Dada in the head with it over and over. And on March 5th, he's going to give Brian Danielson early onset CT. Brian's had enough. He attacks, uh, mounts him, MJF reverses, and they're scrapping all over the place to beat down income security and referees and all that and they break it up and then Danielson gets away from them and dives and attacks MJF in the corner and the same thing happens the other way as uh, they get separated and then MJF rolls out the ring and Danielson jumps him again and they brawl out on the floor oh yeah that they, forearm that you hit on the floor Jesus oh, Christ so one of the best, that's a shoot one of the best I've ever seen a huge pull apart pull apart brawl here Sige 
This was fantastic. I was so impressed with this because the problem with Brian Danielson as a character in AEW is that he's... I know he's played the dragon to great effect early when he was kind of a tweener against Omega where he's just like, I want what I want. I don't have to go through the rankings. He's, he, I don't know, he felt a bit like sadistic and entitled and it was really cool. But I don't think they've ever reached the two parts of the Danielson character that worked to great effect. He's too respected. He can't say he's bad. He just can't say he's bad. Yeah. He's obviously too goddamn great. And he's kind of so respected and such like a nice guy that you can't really say that you hate him and justify it. He's a hard, he's low-key, a hard TV character to get right, I think, Brian Danielson. And I think this evidence has kind of been yielded over the past, what is it now, nearly two years or 18 months. MGF's idea to have the character hate him is kind of fantastic because he's he is this unlovable sociopath. And I want to touch on that as well separately. And... Because he's an unlovable dickhead sociopath, he can just say reprehensible things and mean them. That's what he is at its core. And he can finally elicit some emotion from Brian Danielson. And again, it wasn't me. I think it was maybe even Wade Keller who said, he's a bit fat and happy. He just loves wrestling too much and he can't, he, there's no struggle for Danielson anymore. He's too evidently living his best life. So for them, and I, as I always said, they were going to get here. They were going to get here. They just had to intensify the conflict. I think they've had an organic reason for these two to finally, truly feel like they do not like each other. And the actual brawl itself was so well done. Like the bit where they were separated by all of them in that T-shirt, Danielson's T-shirt that MGF had looked like it spanned about three <laughs> feet. It was tearing at the fabric. It was such a great visual, but it wasn't so pronounced. It was just buried within like the chaos of the scene. And the MGF character is really complex because you like you feel bad for hating him because you know you're kind of watching him as this dickhead sociopath heel and a bullied child pretending that he's like a cold hardened adult at the same time and it's inconvenient to think about why you hate someone like that and it just fuels the resentment of that character i thought this was a home run but i'm interested in why hamlet wasn't as hot I will say that they kind of took the piss with the Invisible War a little bit here. One of my complaints. The second that he said Uncle Max, that's maybe when they should have done the drop it kick. It wasn't even an Invisible Wall. Like, Brian should have hopped over an Invisible Fence. Like, a rare, like, blocking and production flub from AW that, like, one of the things that I didn't like um, was that, so we saw him by the ropes, that he dare mention my kids or I'll kick the shit out of here. And then he proceeded to mention his kids and you literally couldn't put the camera on Dinosaur because where is he? Like, he, that's the point at which he dives through the ropes and gets him, and they cut back to the camera, and he's had to, like, move himself to the opposite side of the ring as if to create space. I, I don't know how that happened, because they almost never get that wrong. <laughs> Typically, it's only Chris Jericho that gets that one wrong, and he seems absolutely fine with it. Yeah. Um, but, like, you never normally see that. And then the brawl, like, in the, the rich history of AEW pull-aparts, this is a very, very noble entry. I absolutely loved this brawl. And I'm going to get back to why, ultimately, I think this was a net positive. I didn't like the promo at all. And this comes before I even knew that, like, MJF was shooting. Like, it has emerged, was it Sean Rossap or somebody else reported that there was... I've seen it all over Twitter, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is true, right? That, like, But it doesn't really matter, but it, it's true. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's true that this has happened to MJF, and, you know, it's, if it's something that wrestlers are happy to mind some real life for, why not? Yeah. I'm a bit... 
it's a bit gauntlet for me, this. Like, oh, MJF's going to the well again with something that he's justifying. Why he's such a bastard? Cool. Like, I jet, like I didn't know that this is a real-life thing. That Why would you not want to use this? He's, these are performers. These are actors and wrestlers of the whole thing. But watching it, watching it, I was just thinking, like, oh, he, he's doing that again. Like, this is all, like, do you want the CM Punk story? We've got the CM Punk story at home. Like, he's done this a lot. And I just, and this is a credit to MJF, by the way. Uh, the reason why he's a champion, the reason why he's probably the best guy in his business right now is because I thought this was like five out of 10 material and he was delivering like a 20. Like his delivery remains oh. excellent. For him to finish on that flourish of like, and I just want to swallow a bottle of pills. Like the, at that point, he is so locked in that it impresses me. But I was really, really disconnected from the story. I was feeling like I could switch off. Like this was shoot Rain of Terror stuff. Right, he's going to talk five minutes and this is the fact of the matter is I had a sad childhood. Like when you get to the end, they're going to have a fight. Now, why it didn't matter. He's not retconning his childhood, though. He's telling the story that something legit has happened in his life. I, but I just feeds consistently into the character. That note is something I'm a little bit sick of. Like, I know that now. And I appreciate, like, other things can happen to MJF in his life that can justify his anger. And I think it even made sense with the... How are we going to get to he's talking about his kids? It even made sense. I just felt like I could switch off. Like, I, it didn't grab me in the way that the story That's about fair, the guess. car crash did the other week. Um, but the positive here, and it's a big one, is that the brawl was absolutely fantastic. And we have to remember that you're selling, having to watch these two get physical for 60 minutes. So if their physical chemistry is good within 20 seconds, yeah. what a hell of a sales pitch for what? You love that, did you? Have an hour of it. Like, That's the thing I kind of want a hot 18-minute brawl now. I don't know, I got, the Iron Man. I got the, like, the Homer Simpson with the donuts meme. I was like, <laughs> oh, God, they look good fighting together. I'll have an hour, thanks very much. And... The point you made about uh, Brian's T-shirt, I don't know if it was MJF that did it or if it was one of those many bodies in the ring breaking things up, but somebody did it and it was inspired. There is a shot when you see the ring and it's full of security guards and MJF's over here and Brian's over there. Slap bang in the middle of the ring, somebody's draped MJF's scarf over it as if it's like this dividing line between the two men. It looks great. AW pull-aparts are fantastic and yet another reason why ones between Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley of all people feel so sterile and boring <laughs> yeah. because they do them better. Like this was really good. That forearm, I've watched that like six times this the morning. Shot composition was oh. just amazing. Like, re- And again, like to the point... He looked about, like he'd been knocked out cold. Yeah, to the point about Brian not jumping him there and then when you've got MJF right at ringside leaning down the lens. I don't really know why. So I was taken out of quite a lot of this, but this got exceptional. And I put it over on Twitter. First time I've ever seen it. Um, promo being put up on the screen. For people like for people that might be in the building that might be deaf, we know that EW look after yeah. um, disabled fans and people with like sensory issues and things like that for that Culture City thing that Brandy set up years ago. I hope this is a new AEW initiative and not something that the venue can accommodate. Yeah, more ahead it, of the curve stuff. If it isn't, do it every week. Yeah, because people have really happened upon that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really like that touch. Um, so you, there's a spot for a redhead in MJF's life. Just to double check. Just okay. Good to know. Doing this on me, man. I'm doing it on Twitter. Like, no you don't shame. Worry. It's pathetic. You're waiting for the youngs to wake up. Yeah, that's the best time to tweet. <laughs> you know, baby. Especially if you're trying to get the attention of one in particular, huh? Uh, then we got the uh, Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker, Farouk Rock thing, basically. <laughs> uh, Tony Schiavone's backstage there, and Hayter uh, saying, "Oh, Soraya's come back to wreak havoc. Uh, she's undefeated. Is she undefeated? And she be in a tag match." I thought she'd lost. Who's undefeated? Soraya. I thought they'd lost a tag, but maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, they've, weirdly, they've 
retconned records very recently. I think they said that Roosh has never been beaten in a singles match. And he's like, yes, yeah. he has. Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, she says, oh, Ruby Soho deserves a title shot also. So bollocks, triple threat match for the women's title at Revolution, um, which if I check my calendar is in just over. No, days. Um, tag team battle royale next. Uh, there was best friends, Lucha Bros, Butcher and the Blade, Top Flight, uh, Daddy Manager and Cool Hanange, Dark Order, Roosh and Preston Vance, Aussie Open, Tony Nese, his tiny knees, and Ari Davari. So, um, and <laughs> <laughs> should be going for the trios belts, funny though. <laughs> Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. Um, <laughs> one of the highlights of this match didn't involve any of those names I just mentioned. Josh Woods tries to help Tony Neeson and Davari, and here comes Mark Briscoe. I love this. More of this, please. Just, just fights him up the ramp. Um, and Smart Mark Sterling was involved in this as well. Um, anyway, Tony Neeson and Penta are fighting on the apron, so Penta hits a fear factor to eliminate him. Um, Smart Mark Sterling character having its Dominic Mysterio moment just because of the very existence of yeah, Mark Briscoe. Yeah. There has never been a man more fitting to take a kick in off Mark Briscoe than Smart Mark Sterling. It's so cathartic when he gets in his... Kill him! Gets in his face. Briscoe's the best. The best. Um, Lucha Bros <laughs> press Davari over their heads and chucks him onto Nissan and Mark Sterling to eliminate them. Uh, Aussie Open get chucked out by the Butcher and the Blade. Um, uh, and Darius Martin, I think, gets chucked out at the same time. Uh, but John Silver and Alex Reynolds get rid of the blade. Butcher sends Reynolds to the floor. Um, but the referees have only just realised, wait a second, two members of the JAS are just hanging around on the floor, hiding. Um, Dante Martin is on the floor, but he's still in it. I think he's just rolled out there from getting hit by something. Uh, Preston Vance gets chucked out by Penta, who then gets chucked out by Roosh. And Phoenix does his awesome tightrope walk thing to kick Roosh and get rid of him. Uh, John Silver gets eliminated. It looks like the best friends have been chucked out by um, uh, Cool Hand Ange and Daddy Magic. But in comes Danhausen to try and stop them and curse them and all that. Um, and in the end, uh, they do get cursed by... Um, Danhausen and the best friends recover to chuck them out before Chuck Taylor gets eliminated by Jeff Jarrett, which leaves us with Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, Butcher, Trent, Dante Martin, and uh, Ray Fenix. Um, Butcher gets another elimination, get rid of Dante. Then Phoenix eliminates Butcher. Then Phoenix gets eliminated by Jarrett and Lethal, which leaves us to the final three, which is the team of uh, Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett and Trent. Um, but despite the numbers advantage, they still need the help of the giant Satnam Singh, who just keeps running from side to side to stop his guys from getting eliminated. Um, Trent hits a tornado DDT on Lethal, but gets hit with the stroke. He looks like he's going to get chucked out. He skins the cat, and Orange Cassidy also comes out to uh, is there to help him out. Jay Lethal gets back back dropped to the door. Danhausen and Sanjay. Get out of there. Um, but in the end, Satnam again helps Jeff Jarrett. He hits another stroke on Trent and eliminates him, which means Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal are added to the tag title match at Revolution. Yeah, I had some problems with this. Like, by the 16th commercial break, I was starting to think it was going too long. Yep. Uh, Jesus Christ, this went on. Like, ah, uh, with Sidgwick on those, like, old-style Royal Rumble Saturday night's main event, 10 seconds, scream at the camera what you got. Like, that sort of told me this could actually be quite a lot of fun and this match was anything but fun other than a couple of spots towards the end of Satnam Singh. That's what this lacked, mm. really. Um, it just went on for quite a while and when you're doing things like the Butcher having 
a number of eliminations, and I understand like there's butchering the blade battle royal law, yeah, and it not really getting paid off. He wasn't in like I know he was in that like last batch, but I wouldn't consider it the closing stretch. Then you have like Ray Phoenix gets one of the pops of the knights for that soccer kick elimination of Roosh, and then he doesn't make it's like Trent at the end with the heels instead of Ray Phoenix. So that felt like it lacked something. The Lucha Bros were like one of the most overacts in the match, and then you're like, ah, you but you killed them like two or three times over, didn't you? Like they've lost. The tag titles, they've lost the trios titles, they're there just to win the odd match and then lose most of them. So it didn't it all felt a bit disjointed. Aussie Open didn't feature and then on commentary, they're, yes. d- they're doing the old, oh, Aussie Open had such a great night, they're gonna fight the young books. And it's like, right, yes, of course you book Aussie Open versus the Young Books while you've got them. Don't patronize me, make it make sense. Why mm. not have like Kyle or Mark Davis make the final three and they'd be cheated out of it? And it's like they came so close. Like they want to wrestle the young books while they're still here. I think they're going into next week's Battle Royal, maybe as well. I might have misheard that, but I definitely said they'd flown over from Australia just for this. Yeah, so like, of course you have the Young Bucks match, but just it's AEW, man. Don't patronise me. It's not a hard detail to think of having one of them go the distance. Unforgivable. Like, just at least have them have a really good long showing. Yeah, and there was a lot of that for me in this. Like, not a lot of detail. And then when the cute spots came at the end, I thought it was with I am the Jeff Jarrett guy. Yeah, and I was sort of thinking like they've probably got a win but I'm not terribly high on this, or certainly not as high as I should have been, because it's felt like the wrong people in the wrong places, and nowhere near enough action in the, like, the main body of the match to justify the length. Too cute, too long. The thing is, there was quite a nice bit of continuity throughout all of this. The Butcher's pretty damn good in yes. Battle Royals. He had a really good showing in... Royal Rampage, was it? With the <laughs> designated blue and designated red, red rings. God, I forgot about that. He was he had a really strong showing in that. And there might have been another one where he was like really strong. So I like that thread. Just these things that they appreciate and cultivate and take care of and reward your investment. And, you know, there's some nice interplay with the best friends in Jarrett's group because they've had previous on screen before. They are kind of always linked. They still hate each other. There's a bit of continuity there. So there's some thought put into this, but ultimately I think the thought was more token and the action was more cute. And the lack of depth of meaningful acts in this tag division, I think, was laid bare here. I thought that watching this, yeah. There was there was no I just didn't feel important. It felt like there was just a lot of nothing acts in there. It was so Stark to the last time they've done battle royals with all these tag teams. I felt like this division really isn't strong anymore. And all like that middle bit of a rumble. Yeah, but throughout. Then the ending was just cute. This has this whole thing for the tag team division in 2023 absolutely has to end with Darby Allen and Sting winning the titles at Revolution in the party match. Otherwise, it's just so cute and irreverent and novelty. And again, people don't like it when I do this. But February 2020, you can compare your favorite thing to the th- favorite thing at its best because that's the standard they've set. Mm. And the difference between the tag team division then and now, it's almost, ups- it's just upsetting. Like, it's all cliches now, isn't it? But like, quantity doesn't outstrip quality. There would have been less teams in that division at the time. Fewer. <laughs> but. <laughs> I have nothing else to say for the remainder of the podcast. <laughs> um, I've had my pants pulled down. If Darby and Sting win those tag titles by beating one of the guns, yeah, they've got to beat. They've them. got to beat the bloody guns, not Jay Lethal. I will go delirious with glee. I will love it so much. It's a last run as well, isn't it? Sting is going, so like, yeah. that's a nice way to do it. Like you have 
the title matches all mean something because you do the unspoken Ric Flair retirement story where you know they don't need to say it, the losses, things last, but they could. Mm. They could kind of imply yeah. it each time, like each team that wants to beat him is like, we don't just want to take your titles, we want to send you out on, like flatten your ass. I will. I will love it so much. I've wanted it to happen since the first time they had an in-ring tag match that wasn't cinematic. They're the best. Yeah. They, they sh- are, they un- are they unbeaten? They're the best tag team in the old rankings. Yes. Yeah. The rankings <laughs> still existed. In, even in quality of opponents, they've beat FTR, yeah. they've beat the acclaimed. Uh-huh. Like, I want them to win these titles. Jarrett, they? Yeah. I Jarrett think they're going to. I think you're going to see Joker Sting I next week. So it's, like, it's so cute. It's yeah. so nice. Yeah. It all ties together lovely. My investment and my enjoyment of all of this is entirely dependent on my fantasy booking. I agree. But I think that's where it's going. Sting for me is a bit like Christmas Day. Underrated. Um, moving on. <laughs> House of Black talks some bollocks. I, I, I really can never be asked to write these promos down. I do apologise. I know it's my job, but he's... We're going to eradicate things. <laughs> I just like that fun. They're, cool. they're going to face the Elite on Friday and you two are going to preview it tomorrow. Good it's luck that, with that. It's that Shawn Michaels heckle from no, 2002. They're not facing him. They're going to be sorry. Yeah, it's from 2002, isn't it? Get to the point! And then he says... A face to face, I think, and it's yes. like right, right. Well, we could, could have saved you five minutes there, Malachi. I, I genuinely like, you know. Sometimes I say like, oh, I'm what's, really, what's sorry, go on. I'm really sorry about like, you know, uh, something happens early on on NXT in particular, and I'm like, I I can't remember this. I was half asleep. Like the show's nearly finished here. I'm awake. It's Thursday morning. I had a good good night's sleep, um, and then he comes out. And I, I literally start going. Oh, Oh god, they're walking out of the shadows, talking bollocks again. I don't, don't pay any attention. I just get get to the get to the point, get to the fucking match. All I could think about here was what are Eddie Kingston and Ortiz doing? <laughs> Did that storyline end? Was it abandoned? Did the storyline end with? The House of Black doing what they wanted? Did you not see? Why? That? Why did they want to do that? If the whole thing was right, the House of Black are being used as an instrument to create a divide between Ortiz and Kingston. What's actually going on with Ortiz and Kingston? Are they having a match? Why did House of Black want to do this? If they're interested in doing that, what do they care about titles? It's just a mess. At uh, New Japan Battle in the Valley, Eddie Kingston was quite nice and respectful to Jay White, of all people. That smacks to me of a mind that is being corrupted. Storyline complete. Tick. Is it complete? Is was the whole the House of Black one? Complete means dropped. I'm asking a question here. <laughs> I I'm don't not know. doing a bit like or did they want to just corrupt them? Because they beat them in a match. Uh, and rampage and a tag. Aye. Why did they want to do that? Why did I have to watch it? <laughs> what are, what are the repercussions for Eddie Kingston, who should be on TV more than a, a dozen of people who have been featured more than once on actual TV. It's still year. weird. Eddie Kingston's AEW status is still weird. So weird. Even if all is fine, I need to be like shown that it's fine with something on screen that like makes you feel like he's part of all this because he just feels separate so much to the the main storylines going on. But the, even in his own separate island rampage stories, that just can't connect the dots here. Are the elite in this face to face gonna like speak for those of us that really don't care for this nonsense? Like, are they gonna no sell it a bit and then like? Malachi Black's going to hit the black mass and be like, right, I know you think our words are nonsense, but I just booted your, your head clean off, Kenny. I've got like, no idea. I think the elite, as the elite, should really take the piss with it. Like, you know when that uh, the Young Bucks came out as the Hardys? Like the elite coming out as the House of Black yeah. and not realising. Or oh, they are actually a threat. It's goth stuff, but we should really care about this. Take the piss and then take the mist. Yeah. That's what they should do. Yeah. Like, all right, okay, we'll come misty in the face. But have <laughs> cake but, and eat it. But it's going to be Brandon. Oh, my eyes. Yeah. 
He does the cold spray, but it's got uh, the black mist inside it. Malachi's Malachi infected the, the spray bottle. Yeah, I love that. Do you see uh, Eddie Kingston's facing one of the bi- boys behind the Tyler Beat thing when he comes to the UK? No, it's for OTT, is it? Uh, oh. I can't remember. I want to say Kings of the North, but I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the, the other guys that was out there. I don't know. No, yeah. I think yeah. Duncan, Duncan Disorderly was the one that did all the funny lines. Yeah, I don't think you're fat, hairy hole. God, Charles Samuel's a fat shit. D on the end of it. Or I like it. <laughs> Tyler Bate, a bitch or bollocksin. It's the best. <laughs> Sounds so violent, that, doesn't it? Just repeatedly punches one of the balls. There's no way Charles Samuel's. And then they show footage of him shoot coming off the top rope. No way he's going to get up there. Oh, no, that was good editing. Yeah. Good editing, that. It wasn't a mistake. Fat, hairy hole. <laughs> Uh, right, um, next up, Tony Khan's backstage with Rene Paquette for his big announcement. I've actually got the uh, the audio of it right here, in fact. Oh, way. I'm joking, of course. I, I'm astonished about how many people got wound up about this online. Are you? Are you? Everyone just well, gets yeah, wound up about everything, and they're stupid. <laughs> so... Um, quite rightly, Tony Khan says, well, uh, as as I would do in any any um, opportunity, I could do this, or I could get Adam Cole to do it instead, baby. And uh, it's time to start time, Adam Cole, baby. Adam Cole says last week, it's my new favourite bit when he does that in the office. He's just nasty. He says. Anyway, he he <sighs> says. Uh, um, Next one, next month, immediately after Dynamite, there's going to be a new show called AW All Access. We can get a look at AW like never before. Uh, it's going to show his journey, Britt Baker, all the people that you like, and even in even better news. Uh, also on the same night, he's going to have his in-ring return on the Dynamite uh, previously, and uh, he's gone for, through hell for six months. But you know, finally, things are looking up. If you have a fundamentally important thing to your business. Why would you not sell it as an important announcement? Like, why wouldn't you do that? I don't understand this Ferrari. I do understand this Ferrari because people will complain about anything. I suspect there might be a complaint imminent, but it will be in good faith, at least, I think, from pamphlet. <laughs> We've, we, we are years... I've got fewer problems than people on the internet do. Yeah, shut up, man. We are years, years into the rights fee era, the massive rights fee era the idea that this is financial oxygen to companies, both WWE and AEW. Without TV, they die. Or if they don't die, they are so unrecognizable, they'll become a zombified impact MLW-esque operation. That's how important television is Mm -hmm. now um, because pay-per-view isn't dead. AEW have proven that, but you can't do 12 months. You just can't. No. That's why they went to the network in the first place. And the network died. It's all hinges on TV in its current form. That's how you get massive contracts for your talent. All that goes away if AEW goes away. They'd be knackered without it. Tony Khan needs people to watch this show, right? He needs people to watch it. He has to build it up as something big and worth watching and a fascinating, candid glimpse at AEW superstars as you've never seen them. If you just said halfway through the show, oh, we've got a new thing, by the way, People would think, all right, okay. You have to promote. Yeah. I understand that. What, what does. At this point, he didn't use the word huge announcement. No. This did not have the same vibe as the thing of 
Christian Cage is going to sign or Keith Lee's coming or I've bought ROH. But he has to do something to convince you to watch. Mm. And another thing, people, dickheads, idiots, complain that there aren't enough stories. Everything's a story, just most of them aren't good at the minute, okay? Most of them aren't that good or of the expected standard. You're in luck. You're in luck. This is a new vehicle, and it's not dark or elevation. It's on national television, so you cannot use that excuse, which I kind of was half in, half out on believing. Oh, this happened on dark. I don't care. I'm not going to watch dark. Fine. They even did it here, didn't they? It was like Evil Uno. He's on a hell of a winning streak, is he? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, how am I? Like, uh, matches. I was like, what are you doing? This is going to be on national television. This is going to be an important thing that people are going to talk about. You cannot say that this is an invest. This is a. This is not. You're just not allowed, in my opinion, to say, oh, it's not worth announcing. Who cares? You cannot, in my opinion, say that and. AEW has no character development or meaningful storytelling at the same time. This show is based around baby-facing the hell out of Adam Cole on national television, okay? You can't say that other tone tell stories and oh, it's a rubbish announcement at the same time. You can't. You absolutely cannot do that. You can't say that three hours a night is too much to invest in, but it's a different show. It's a different show. Yeah. You know what? I've got them. I've got these. I've got these fed pilled idiots. Who watch? You can watch Talking Smack after SmackDown, and you love that, okay? So you can watch All Access after Dynamite, and you can enjoy that too. Yeah. You can enjoy the stories that were furthered on Talking Smack after SmackDown, and you can enjoy Dynamite and All Access, and enjoy bit Adam Cole getting a candid glimpse into Adam Cole's life. I mean, you can watch him. I'd love, I'd love a candid glimpse, of Adam Cole. You can watch. 10 seconds of him being Adam Cole. My wife is not going to miss a second of AW All Access. Not you can watch 10 seconds of Adam Disgusting. Cole backstage being Adam Cole and think, give him the belt. Yeah. yeah. This is a master stroke. You're not allowed to say that they've whiffed the announcement and say they don't tell stories and do character development at the same time. They have to sell the show. It's TV. It's fundamental to their mm. televised future that this isn't a complete dud. How do you present it as a dud? Oh, yeah, I've got a new show. Watch well, it if you want. Yeah. You have to build these things. You Put have to it in Excalibur. Oh, we come up this week. Point of reference, point of reference. When was the last time they just said, oh, here's the thing that they didn't announce and it got off to a pretty dismal start? All like the title, they just said, oh, yeah, I've got a new title. Everyone's like, what? You haven't even built it. You haven't promoted it. You haven't sold it as a good thing. It just about works, but they didn't get off to the best start. Right. I've got a couple of things I want to say before, before you say it. I realised I stuck the boot in. It's only... I think Andy had a, a good point when we were talking about this earlier in the office, which is um, the fact that even if... I agree with what you say, by the way, that they have to sell this. Completely agree. Um, but even if, if, if... For argument's sake, Tony Khan went, I can't do that. I can't do that to the fans. I can't say I've got an important announcement. There is an argument to be made, and I'm not suggesting that I know anything about this, that the network said, no... On your TV show and promote this other TV show. I don't care if you think that it's... I don't understand why you wouldn't do it, even if you were told. But also, I said this to you in the office, I don't think a single, and I hate this, casual AEW fan tuned in tonight to Dynamite because they were like, everyone's been saying about this important announcement. They're bringing air, but they're bringing... San Martino back from the dead and he's going to be the new top star. They mentioned something on, they mentioned something on maybe on Rampage about this and they tweeted something and 
kind of that was about it. I'll really. step in there if that's all right. I disagree with that, and I think this is where I disagree with Sidgwick a little bit. I think the wording was where people have gotten themselves pissed off here. I'm not bothered, by the way. Um, the important announcement does have a certain. Um, it's, I know, like, we've talked on the preview yesterday, there's a difference between important and huge and major. And there is, and he's used these different words each time. But I think he's set a tone for what these are that are directly related to storylines, to wrestlers, to one time the purchase of a wrestling company. But for the most part, things that really matter. Adam Cole, ironically enough, would have been one if he says my huge. Now, my important announcement is I've got Adam Cole's revolution opponent. That would have felt more in keeping. I think he got his wording wrong here, personally. I think the what you said is right needs to promote it, why not promote it, why not get people to watch? But then Wilborn's just said, I don't think anybody watched this for that, so which is it? Like you okay. either you either say that to you either say that to get people to pay attention to it and then when they pay attention they find out about this cool new show or to Wilborn's point, they don't give a toss. I think he did say it to get people to watch with the mindset of it went on that dynamite match graphic thing in the middle. Like and not just because Evil Uno and John Moxley didn't carry water as a main event. It was in the middle. Tony Khan's important announcement stood up as much as the last few, and like uh, uh, just to make my stance clear, I don't give a toss. Like people, there will be idiots online today that say like it's not really a major announcement relating to storylines; it's relating to AEW's business. Yeah, like we just watched the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match. That's entirely related to WWE's business. Don't tell me you watched that because you like the creative. You know what I mean? That like that was. I watched it because I love Mountain Dew Pitch Black. Indeed, yeah, yeah. that was an advert for a product. Like <laughs> so was this. It was an advert for a product, and the product is AEW All Access. I do believe he got the wording wrong. I do believe this felt like a meeting that could have been an email. This was a segment. That, <laughs> this was a segment that could have been a tweet. And quite frankly, after last weekend, Tony Khan's Twitter is hotter than AW Dynamite anyway. So you could have put it on there, and more than would have been more eyes on it if Ariel Hawani retweets. Like he got the wording wrong, and that's pissed people off. I there is, I think, the nugget of a good faith discussion as to why this was missold. But I have absolutely no problem with his using his advertising space to advertise his stuff. Huge. Is used previously has connotations of big massive free agent or I bought a company or forbidden door. He didn't use that word on purpose, and I think it absolutely front and center deserved. It's a new TV show. It's massive for them. They have to build it as big. It's big. It's completely dependent on their televised future. I think if it bombs, they're probably going to say, "I oh, you know what, uh, Dynamite's still doing really well. We will renew you for more money." It's a massive thing that could drive storylines and secure their TV future, and it's imperative that it's a success builder as such. One more thing on this, because I like to think we can find the middle ground on like this kind of argument rather than just everything that's out there, people feasting on each other's mm. brains on Twitter. Or well, that's why we're the best wrestling podcast. Yeah, Indeed, by like some distance. Yeah. The um, Say the announcement was, uh, Tony Khan has an important announcement about a new AEW television show, right? I would argue that wouldn't hook as many of those casual fans okay. because it's less ambiguous. And they would wait... Connect the dots because it's been rumoured in the pipeline. They would wait until the next day and just read on whatculture.com about the new television show that was talked about on Dynamite. Mm -hmm. I do think he used that to get okay. eyes. And it has been used to get eyes in the past and Dynamite's ratings haven't been that good. So that's all my own like uh, subjective take on why he promoted it like that. I think there was a little bit of cynicism, but I think it would be unfair to call it a straight-up bait-and-switch, as I have seen online. It's all wrestling promotion cynical. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes people can overhype uh, announcements. Speaking of which, a big announcement coming for What Culture Wrestling tomorrow. Keep your eye out for that one. Main event time, John Moxley versus oh, Evil. He's a pro. Uno. Yeah. Best number ever. Uh, 
There wasn't much time left in this, and they didn't mess about. Um, Uno rushes Moxley. Uh, Moxley turns the tables. Hangman Page is watching backstage, because he's been told to. Uh, Uno fires up, though. Big kick. Starts hitting Moxley with his vest. Gets it around his throat. Bites him. Uh, but Moxley fights out and tears at Evil Uno's mask. Uh, they spill to the outside. Uno goes up top and hits this great big somersault sent on and starts nailing John Moxley with with um, that's the name of the move. I didn't mean to wire you up. Uh, gets a big reaction for that, but Moxley recovers, sends Uno into the steps head first. He gets busted wide open, and I thought, oh well, that's a rarity, isn't it? It's a John Moxley match where he's not bleeding. Stick around. Um, <laughs> Uno fires back, pile drivers, goes for it again, but Moxie counters into the hammer and anvil, elbows, and a rear naked choke. The sadist in me really loved this from my MMA experiences as well. Uno's busted open. Moxie is choking him. Looks he's like he's getting strangled. He's squeezing him and all the blood's dripping down it because it's worse. When I've seen it. I love it. I'm a, I compared it to, you know, when you those Play-Doh fun factories where you put pressure on the thing and then the Play-Doh just comes out in like a rainbow shape. Yeah. Moxley was doing that to Evil Uno's head and the blood was coming out eye-shaped because it was coming out the hole in the mask. <laughs> oh. So uh, he's put, him in the, actually. Yeah. <laughs> put him in the choke, put him in the bulldog, and Uno still not giving up, and Moxie transitions into the rear naked choke. Uno passes out, but uh, but Moxie won't let go of the hold despite the bell ringing. So here comes uh, John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order to make the save. Claudio and Wheeler, you come in and fend them off. Hangman Page has had enough, though, sprints down to the ring, uh, gets involved, and gets some barbed wire around his fist and nails Moxley. I'll let you say your thing in a second. Uh, sets up for the bookshot lariat, but Moxley does the wanker sip. No, you should have. Uh, <laughs> Moxley just bails out to the ramp, and he's he's busted wide open, and that's the the, the last shot we really see on this dynamite. Uh, right. I can't pretend that I was invigorated, hyped up, in love with this. I thought it was good. I don't even think it was necessary. No. I think it was a nice little diversion there were elements of it that I thought were fantastic. Like that sent on off the top row, generally thought, like, there's no such thing as high risk if everything's a risk. It doesn't feel like a risk. This for Evil Uno, I thought it was a really nicely, elegantly constructed match because this felt high risk. It's not something I've seen him do very often. Obviously, back in the day, Evil Uno would do this, but the character is presented to you by AEW. This felt like a high risk because he knows he's doomed. He has to take the ultimate risk because it's the only way he can get the reward. Really like that. Really like that, you know. He's just sick of being a dork. He's sick of being this irreverent dork who no one takes seriously. I'd say the dork order, but it sounds like that lad order in a borger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> dork younger. order. Dork order. Um, and he just didn't want to give up because he just didn't want to be embarrassed anymore. All of this character work was fine. Moxley making him bleed was awesome. End it there. There were 45 seconds left on the broadcast. And yes, to sell the fact that they are going to do, obviously, barbed wire spots in the Texas death match, they have to be put over as dangerous. Save it till next week. Save doing a barbed wire tease for what you're going to see at Revolution on the go-home, and then Mox can maybe bleed. He is bleeding so much that my... I love blood. It gets me every single time. Bit of claret. Bit of plasma. I think it is the coolest thing. I'm just a mark for blood. And I was like, oh, hey, Moxley. <laughs> like, oh, hey, oh, hey. It's 
bad enough when you no longer feel like the person is in turmoil, in danger. It's bad enough when you're desensitized to that. When you become a joke for doing it, that's when to stop. He's on a Texas death match in about just over, uh, when is it? Just over... Nine days! He should have had the discipline to have stopped doing it for like a month at least because then yeah. he'll bleed so much and the match will be so awesome that the conversation will come back around and no one will care because it will work. It works and it doesn't when you do it all the time. Yeah. It'll never ever feel like Dustin Rhodes ever again. It, oh, God. That was, um, you on about the Lance Archer one. The boot squashing his head down. Oh, or Dustin Rhodes against Cody. Yeah. Yeah. It'll never feel like that ever again. If this company wasn't so prone to excess, but it is... It's this was the it was the theme of twenty twenty two, wasn't it? Excess across a number of areas, and this was where I felt it um, because they seemed to get rid of blood. Not get rid of it, obviously, but like it just it felt like it was being phased down a bit to the point where people were saying, "Oh, was the network had a word or something." Mm. There was that little of it compared to what we'd seen, and then it's gone right back the other way lately. Moxley's the worst offender, but it's been happening quite a bit. Like Jungle Boy uh, needed blood to sell that angle, and like being really about this a very disciplined wrestling show might have not bothered with any more blood on the whole show and then you're like well you can kind of justify Eva Luna there is no justification for the John Moxley one here there just simply isn't because there's no real need for the barbed wire spot also I saw barbed wire and I hated it like that has a triggering effect on me in this company like barbed wire when has that ever gone wrong other than massively high profile matches <laughs> like featuring John Moxley and Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston and people that can be absolutely trusted with anything like I don't think it's anywhere near as good as people think it is. And it's not going to be automatically bad because they've done it bad before. This match is going to be incredible. The match will be incredible. I just saw that and I was like, ah, oh, uh, there was better weapons than barbed wire to go to. But Moxley arguably need to do something good with barbed wire. Moxley's got a bleed. Is like the contemporary Hogan must pose. It's like, <laughs> it's like Vince screaming down. You need to get Hogan in the double bicep. It's, it's the most object defeating thing imaginable. The idea that the baby face looks vulnerable and sympathetic. He's now a joke and a meme for doing it. Like, oh, like stop it, man. Well, let us know your thoughts on AEW Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there. You can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE, as I said. Make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, but now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.